many of you guys know that just one word from God can change everything? It has the power to change everything. It has the ability to set one's course of life and then cause them to walk into the purpose that God ordained for them even before he breathed out the starry host. The scripture says in Psalm 33, verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Now think about that, because that just goes to show the power of God's word. By the word of the Lord, just by his word, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. See, I don't know if you know this or if you ever thought about this, but the Bible is not just a book of ideologies. Like, it's not just a systematic uh, set of concepts about human life or about culture, but rather it's the living, breathing word of God which reveals his divine purpose. And I'd like to just come and start by laying a good foundation for what we're going to be talking about this morning. And I want to just lay out a few truths that I want you to know from the Bible in regards to God's purpose. And the first one is this, and that is that God's word explicitly and comprehensively lays out the purpose for why you are here on this earth. And so if you want to know why you're here on this earth, then spend some time reading your Bible. This truth, by the way, can I just tell you, this is something that each and every one of us needs to hear. I don't care if you've been serving Jesus for many years or if this is for the first time you've been in church in years. You need to know you have a purpose. You have a God-ordained purpose. But second, God's word also defines our life, not in terms of what we think, but what God thinks. Now, this right here, guys, is a game changer because most people are living their life based on a false perception of who they think they are or who society says that they are, but only God holds the copyright on who you really are. And then the third thing that God's word does, it clarifies the non-negotiables. It identifies your life with the character and the call of God. And it informs us that we are children of God, as we sang today. And it's, it also instills within us the truth that he is a good father. And so I just want to begin today's message with letting you know that God's purpose for you is birthed out of his love for you, his creation. And what I can promise you for sure is that his love is greater than anything that you could ever possibly imagine. I mean, you don't even have the capacity to exaggerate how great God's love is for you. And I pray that you'll see that through our text that we're going to look at this morning. Now, if you're here and you're just joining us, we've been on a series called Marked, which really it's a series about the call of God, the mark of God on our lives, but it's also a grappling that we all face with our humanity. And honestly, I can't think of a more suitable message to start to bring this series to a close. And so I want you to flip with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. I love reading the gospel account according to Luke because Luke was the most literary of all the New Testament writers. 
But in addition to that, he also had a, a real great eye for detail. And so when you look at Luke's account of the gospel compared to, let's say, Mark's account, you'll see details mentioned in Luke that you won't find in Mark. But now before we get into the main passage of our text today, first I want you guys to pay special attention to who it is that Jesus is speaking to. How many of you know that whenever you read the Bible, that it's important that we recognize who it's being written to? Because whenever you leave out the context of the text, often you're left with pretext. And you miss an unintended lesson. And so let's look at Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at the first three verses. The scripture says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now, I want us to just pause here just for a moment. Who's Jesus speaking to? Yeah, they're, they're speaking to, well, the tax collectors, the sinners, the Pharisees, and the scribes. A very, think about this, a very diverse group of people. Now, some of you guys might be like, well, aren't we all sinners? Well, yes, we are. But in the context uh, here, there's an actual group of people that are categorically labeled the sinners. And this would include the drunks, the prostitutes, and adulterers. But it would also include certain uh, individuals who had deformities and sicknesses. Matter of fact, that's why the disciples came across this one blind man and asked Jesus, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents that caused him to be this way? And so the term sinners would be really used in a different context than you and I understand the word sinners. And now just to highlight how diverse this audience was speaking to, then you've got the Pharisees. And they were the most religious group of people on the entire planet. I mean, they had a list of 613 commandments, and they followed them to a T. Not only that, but they would even take the commandments to an extreme. For example... If the commandment said for them not to work on the Sabbath, they would even say that after you've taken so many steps, that's considered work, and you've broken the Sabbath. And keep in mind, they didn't have a Fitbit to keep up with it, right? <laughs> so what did that mean? That meant that they had to be mindful of every single step they took on the Sabbath. And oh, by the way, just to be in this elite group, you had to have the Torah memorized. That's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Guys, I tried to write out the Bible one time, just writing it out, let alone like memorizing it. And man, I'm telling you, it's a task. Like even if I ever thought that I could memorize Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, by the time I got to the numbers and read the begats, like I'm throwing in the towel. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not going to remember all that. But these guys had it memorized like that was your buy-in just to get in. That's the SAT that you have to pass to get in. Are you with me? So this is one set of people that Jesus is talking to. But then you have the tax collectors. And I mentioned the tax collectors separately from the sinners because I want you to just understand how other people saw them and just how bad their reputation was. 
I mean, they were so bad that even the sinners didn't want to have anything to do with them. That's pretty bad. Now, let me just give you a quick history lesson to explain why. Rome controlled an unbelievable amount of territories during the first century. Now, just to give you an idea, Rome is more than 2,500 miles to Jerusalem. That's a big pass right there. And there's only one way that you can control that many territories, and that's to have a massive army. And the only way that you could have a massive army is to have a massive amount of money because someone's going to have to feed those soldiers and pay them, right? And so where did all this money come from? Taxes, right? It came from taxing the people. Not much of that changed in 2,000 years, right? (laughs) But watch this. This Roman army here that they were financing, this was a ruthless gang. Like they would kill, rape, and they would pillage the different cities that they ruled over. And so the tax collector was the one who was collecting the money for them. And not only that, the tax collector would then extort and take more than what was required. So imagine giving over your hard-earned money to the very army that's killing your family and raping your daughters. And the tax collector, he's the one who's handling that transaction as well as helping himself to the collection. So now you see why tax collectors were a group of people that were in a category all to themselves that were hated by all. So I want you to just keep this diverse audience in mind that Jesus is speaking to because we're going to reference this like throughout the message. And so let's look over to Luke chapter 15 and we're going to start in verse 11 for our main text for today. This is going to be a familiar text for many of you, but it's one of my favorite parables in the scripture. Luke 15 and verse 11 says, And then he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Let's just pause there for a second. Now, it doesn't say this here in the text, but certainly the implication is here, which is give me the share of my property that's coming to me now. How many of you know that we give up often? the most for what we want now. And I think that this is an important thing that we need to address because in this mindset in which we live, in the culture that we're living in, it's tailored to giving us exactly what we want, exactly when we want it. I was just thinking about this a little bit um, just this week about how much things have changed in my short 46 years. And I remember going to Video Palace which was a hillbilly, Kentucky hillbilly knockoff of Blockbuster Video. And I remember going and renting a VHS player, if they had any of them available because they were in high demand. And if you were lucky enough to rent one of those VHS players, and then you would go, you'd get this protective casing that was huge, the size of a briefcase. You would go and you would, you would hook it up. You, then you would insert the rented VHS movie. And that was if they had your favorite one there because those were in high demand also. So you'd watch the movie. Then you rewind it or else you'd get charged. And then you take it all back by 12 o'clock the next day or else they'd like take out a lien against your car or something, right? How many of y'all remember these days? All right, good. Don't But watch this. 
This is the wild thing. We didn't even have a problem with doing it because it was all we knew. But today, I can watch any movie that I want on demand, in high definition, 4K, and I don't even have to leave my couch. Not only that, but now I think every single one of my remotes, I can just push a button and talk into it, and bam, there's the movie, right? My point? We live in a culture that puts immense value on getting what we want when we want it. Yet we fail to recognize that there's a cost that's associated with that demand. One that's always greater than what we can see at the time. See, I think what the younger son here represents is a son who is struggling with trusting their heavenly father's timing. And the thing is, there wasn't anything wrong with what the son desired. I mean, receiving his father's inheritance, like, that was a good thing. It was even a right thing. But catch this, the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. I felt the spirit of God on that, so I'm going to look somebody in the eye, pray to God that I catch you. The right, the, right, the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Are you with me? He wanted something that God wanted him to have, but it was before God wanted him to have it. Check this out, newsflash. If you get a blessing before it's time, it won't be beautiful, it will be a burden. This is a word for someone who's praying for something that hasn't happened. And look, God's not saying no. God is just saying not yet, not now. God, I want a spouse. And God's saying, yeah, I want you to have one too, but not right now. I'm still doing a work in both of your lives before I bring you together. I'm talking to someone who would say, God, I want another job. And God says, yeah, and I've got one for you, but not right now because I still have an unfinished work for you to do at your current one. Church, I get this. I really do. Because there are things that I want, and God has really told me that I'm going to have them eventually, but not now. Can I tell you what I've learned? Faith in God also means faith in his timing. I mean, if we trust God for our salvation, then shouldn't we be trusting him for every other area of our lives as well? Because the moment that we take matters into our own hands, watch this, we end up with an Ishmael. And here's the thing about Ishmael's. Some of them will follow you around for the rest of your life. Because while we're free to make our own choices, we're not free from the consequences of those choices. You say, but pastor, what if I I wait too long and I, I miss God? Well, can I just address that thought for just a moment? If you are seeking God with all of your heart and you're submitted to his lordship, you're not going to miss God. You know why? Because God is too big to miss. Like if God hasn't brought about something in your life, it's because there's a reason. Now the father in this story, I think he's a representation of God. And I think that's uh, the parable that Jesus was presenting to us. And so with that in mind, I want you just to notice the father's response to the son's request. He says to him, and he divided his property between them. See, the father didn't have to give up that a portion of his inheritance like he requested. I mean, he could have said to him, hush your mouth and go to your room. Yeah, which is a good nugget on parenting that some of y'all need to grab hold of it, let the tail wag the dog, but I digress. Um, 
the father in his story, he divided the property between them. He gave the son what he asked for, but it was more than the son could handle. Church, be careful what you ask for. I said, be careful what you ask for. Now, you may say, but pastor, how do I know what I should or shouldn't ask for? Well, as is the case with our story today, the son knew that it wasn't the right time. Because the only time that an inheritance is to be divided is upon the death of the father. And I think that oftentimes, if we would take a careful examination of our situation, we'd know and we can see that it's not the right timing for that thing that we desire also. Hey, I know that I am so grateful that I didn't go to God when I was 25 years old and demand I want to pastor a church now. Because while I thought that I may have been able to handle it, it would have been more than I could bear. It would have been bad for me, and if you had been coming here, it would have been bad for you. Okay? But if you truly aren't sure as to what you should ask God for, I love what Jesus modeled for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. How many of you know that you can always look back to the life of Jesus? And this is why we need to know the life of Jesus, because he has modeled for us everything. And he has also faced all the same temptations and everything that you and I have faced. And so anything that you need to know in life, you can look back to the life of Christ, and he has modeled it. And so we see this here in Jesus when he's at the Garden of Gethsemane, because he goes to God and he says, God, if it's possible, he says to his father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, he's saying, God, if there's any other way for this to be accomplished and for us to get to the end goal without having to go through what I'm about to go through, like, that'd be great, God. But then he goes on and says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see, I think any time that we ask God for something, we should follow Jesus' footsteps and say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because if it's not in God's will, I don't want it. Now let's keep reading in our story. Luke 15, verse 13. says, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods and the, that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Hmm. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have spare food? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, father. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This is the place that every follower of Christ has found themselves. At the place of realizing that the things of this world, they cannot satisfy that deep longing in our souls. You see, we're the prodigal son. Every time we search for unconditional love where it can be, can't be found. Because watch this, only God can heal. Only God can feel. And only God can rescue us. And if you don't believe that, then you'll go your own way only to one day find yourself at a dead 
in street. Settling for slopping the hogs. But now I want us to look at how the father responds to his son. And it's vital that we catch this because, again, the father here is a representation of our heavenly father, of God. In verse 20, verse 24, it says that the son, he got up. Oh, I just want to say to someone this morning, get up. Quit standing that junk you're in. I'm going to save that for later. Oh. He got up. He went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You know, it doesn't say this in the text because, you know, the scripture isn't comprehensive in that it tells every single detail because then it would require all the libraries of the world to tell everything about the life of Christ. And the scripture even mentions that, right? But I can't help but to wonder if he wasn't looking and watching every single day. While he was still afar off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and killed it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Listen, I'm here to tell you something this morning. God is not mad at you. Someone needs to hear that. He loves you. Sure, you've made some bad choices in life that's carried some natural consequences, but that has nothing to do with God's love for you. I think that there are too many people who are like this younger son sitting in the hog slop of life wondering, would God accept a person like me? And the answer is a resounding yes. The younger son, he comes with this well-prepared speech and just hoping that his father would hire him as a hired servant. But the father interrupts his speech, embraces him, puts a ring on his finger and a robe around him and says, it's time to celebrate. Church, God takes great delight in saving humanity. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, back in verse 10 in the scripture, it says that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I would say that Jesus is dying to offer you his forgiveness and his acceptance, but he's already done that. <laughs> now you've just got to freely receive it. And before the service is over, we will give that opportunity for you to respond to the Father's invitation and to be filled with what the world could never fill you with, the love of your Heavenly Father. But before we get to that invitation, there's, there's more to the story. Remember the crowd that Jesus was addressing? Uh, the tax collectors, the sinners, the scribes, and the Pharisees. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they would have loved this first half of the story because they would have acknowledged, yep, the son got what he deserved, right? And they also, I believe, they would have loved that the father showed mercy to the son because, you know, they also believed that God was merciful. But there's a second half to this parable, one that doesn't get talked about as much as the first half, but I believe that there are people that are sitting in churches all over the world this morning that need to hear the second half of this message just as much as the first. So let's read it. Luke 15, starting in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. (laughs) My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, the first part of this story was pretty much directed at the tax collectors and the scribes. But the second one, I'm sorry, was uh, the tax collectors and the sinners. But the second part, rather, was uh, the Pharisees and the scribes. But I think that the second part of this text, that it still speaks to us today. And it speaks to those of us who maybe we've been in church for a long period of time. And I don't know, perhaps you're seeing the blessing of God on those around you. And how that some seem to be more blessed than you. While they've not been near as faithful as you. Like they've not put in the years that you've put in. But yet somehow it seems like there's more favor on their lives than yours. And like the older son, maybe you felt overlooked. The Bible says that the older son refused to go into the party. He goes to his father, and he complains about his brother. Church, can I just share something with you that I have learned? Complaining is self-perpetuating and counterproductive. Like any time I express my complaints in the hope of evoking pity and receiving the satisfaction that I so desire, the result is always the opposite of what I tried to get. And catch this, a complainer is hard to live with. And very few people know how to respond to the complaints made by a self-rejecting person. And so the tragedy is that often when the complaint is expressed, it leads to that which is feared the most, further rejection. And so then it begins to create this snowball effect in our lives to where we build up walls So that we're not able to receive the love from those that are around us. And our relationships then become a means of survival to where we start to just see things through the lens of rejection. But can I just tell you what will help you to begin to get out of that pit? One word. Gratitude. How? Because gratitude and resentment cannot coexist. It just simply can't. I know that in the past I used to think of gratitude as this spontaneous response to the awareness of gifts that were received, but I now realize that gratitude can be lived as a discipline, a discipline that involves a conscious choice. See, I can choose to be grateful even when my emotions and my feelings are steeped in hurt and resentment. 
I mean, like, it's amazing how many occasions uh, we find ourselves presented with where we can choose gratitude instead of a complaint. I can choose to be grateful when I'm criticized, even whenever my heart feels the sting. I can choose to speak about goodness and beauty, even whenever on the inside my inner eye still looks for someone to accuse or something to call ugly. The discipline of gratitude is the explicit effort to acknowledge that all I am and have is given to me as a gift of love. And it's to be celebrated with joy. I think that's the heart of what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 when he said, Give thanks in all circumstances. Not just whenever everything's going great, but in all circumstances. See, there's the key right there. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so we must be grateful because if we're not, watch this, resentment will begin to set in, which will then block our perception, and it will keep us from experiencing life as a gift. And then my resentment will tell me that I don't get to receive what I deserve, which then always, always manifests in envy. Are you following with me on all this, church? But when I choose to be grateful in all things, I find freedom. Now listen to me, guys. I know that what I'm talking about this morning, this isn't easy. If it's easy, everyone would be doing it. But I am telling you that it will cause you to be free. And really what we're talking about as disciples of Jesus Christ is to operate in faith. Which means loving without expecting to be loved in return. Giving without wanting to receive. Inviting without having the hopes of being invited. Holding without asking to be held. And every time that I do this in faith, I get a glimpse of the one who ran to me with arms wide open and invites me into his joy, which I can then find within myself because of that, and I can see within others. So what are we talking about this morning? We're talking about two sons, one who doesn't trust his father's timing, than another who doesn't recognize what he has had the entire time. And so I believe that there are some sons, some daughters, that you're here this morning and you've been wanting something and God is just saying, not yet. And you just need to step back and you need to say to God, God, I trust your timing. That doesn't mean that it changes your desire. Are you with me? And it doesn't even say that it has to change how you feel. It's just saying, God, I trust you, regardless of how I feel. But then there are other sons and daughters here who you've been waiting for a time to come that you're already in. You've just not recognized what you already have. And God is saying to you, you want a fatted calf? You want a young goat? You want a party? Let's party. Any time's a good time. I'm just waiting on you. Church, what? thing is it that you are wanting from God that you haven't received? And could it be that the issue is not timing as was with the younger son, but it's simply you taking hold of what is already yours? See, many of us are waiting for God to change the calendar, but God is waiting on you to make a choice. Just the other day, 
uh, one of my girls uh, came to me and said, Dad, I'm hungry. And I'm not going to say which one it was, um, but all three of my girls are old enough to make something to eat for themselves. And so I said to her, I said, well, you can have whatever you want. There are two whole refrigerators full of food, so go get it. See, I think that what God is wanting to say to us this morning is if you want something, go get it. But many of us, we want breakfast in bed, right? But that's not how God usually operates. I think that what he often says is, if you want it, go get it. Come on, we'll make sure everybody's awake. Look at the person next to you and say, if you want it, go get it. It's a terrible thing when you don't wait for God. And you make a wrong choice and you end up sleeping with the hogs. But it might even be worse when you're sleeping right under your father's roof waiting for him to give you something that's already yours. Hey, the fatted calf, the young goat, the hoedown, it could have all been his at any time. He just had to ask, except he never thought to ask because he was too busy cheerlessly and religiously trying to get them. You know, one of the hardest things in the world is to stop being the prodigal son without turning into the elder brother. But what levels the playing field for all of us is constantly recognizing our need for grace. Amen? I got a short message for you. Stand up. I'm going to share just a couple more thoughts. One of the things that I love about this story is how it takes a turn that you don't see coming. And please make sure that you, you catch this. In a setting like this, like everyone loves extending grace to the younger brother. I mean, we all love to see the drug addict uh, set free, uh, the gangbanger, the prostitute. We, we want to see them saved, right? But what we often end up doing is judging the self-righteous person. But watch this. This wasn't the father's play. He didn't say, oh, you don't want to come out to the party? Well, stay out there and pout then. No, the scripture says that the father went out, and the scripture says he pleaded with him to come in. You see, whether it's legalism or transgression, God welcomes them both. See, here's the thing about rebellion, because rebellion can take on, like, different shapes. Like, some people rebel against God with heroin, but some people rebel against God with Sunday school. Like, some will say, I, I don't need you, God. I can find my own way. I know more about money than, than you know about money, and I know more about sex than, than you know about sex. I, I don't need your instruction, God. But then the self-righteous brother also says, I don't need you. I can make my own way. It just looks a little different. Because they'll make a list of things causing them to believe that they're okay to the point to where they don't actually know God. They just know about God. See, the parable of the prodigal son might well be called the parable of the lost sons. Because not only... Did the younger son who left home to go out and find a, a freedom that he thought he would find in the world and a happiness there get lost? But also the one who stayed at home also became a lost man. Someone needs to hear this this morning. 
Like this guy externally did all of the things that a good son's supposed to do, but internally he wandered away from his father. He did his duty. He worked hard every day. He fulfilled his obligations, but he became increasingly unhappy and unfree. See, there are many elder sons and daughters who are lost while at home. But God is the father who watches and waits for his children, runs out to meet them, embraces them, pleads with them, begs and urges them to come home. But love, the father's love, covers all sin no matter what that rebellion looks like. Hey, both sons were marked. Both sons had an inheritance. Both sons were the father's. And what I hope that everyone catches this morning is that both sons were loved. See, today's story, unlike a fairy tale, really doesn't have a bow wrapped around it, but instead it leaves us face to face with one of life's most difficult spiritual choices, to trust or to not trust in God's all-forgiving love. You see, Jesus proclaims the good news of his love and acceptance to boast the greatest of these and to the least of these. And friends, no matter who you may be finding yourself being able to relate to this morning, whether it's the younger son or the older son, I just want you to know that God loves you. Your heavenly Father accepts you, whether you've been out partying and living it up or whether you've been complacent within the church complaining and grumbling. God's love covers it all. Run to God, not from him. Run to him as fast as you can because his arms are wide open. Bow your heads and pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us, that you accept us. Not because of anything that we have done or that we could ever do, but you say to us, come. Come as you are. And so we thank you. We thank you for extending your grace and your mercy towards us. Thank you for paying the price that our sin demanded by offering your life as a ransom on our behalf. Now may we live a life worthy of the call to which you have called us, sons and daughters of God. So I just want to ask, who's here this morning? And you find yourself being able to relate to one of the two brothers. Like you've been out living your life, living what you feel you want to do, not submitted to the will of your father, and you're finding yourself coming up empty. You find yourself coming up short. I want you to know that his arms are wide open. You don't have to have no great speech prepared. All you have to do is to say yes. But it's also to the elder brother, and I think this is the one right here that, that is so tough to get through to because there's so many and some of you even in this room who you've been in church for your whole life but you've allowed whatever maybe church hurt from a I was gonna say from another place it could have been from here I don't know but but you, you've allowed hurt look can I tell you something in life you're going to be hurt like you're going to get hurt from family like teenagers you're going into school you're going to get hurt you're going to get hurt by a teacher. You're going to get hurt by a coach. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt at your job. Like anywhere, like 
hurt. That's part of life. You know why? It's because the enemy is here. The devil is here. This is his domain. This world is not ours. Did you know that? We're just passing through here. So when you see evil in the world, like it exists. And guess what? Like we come up short here within the body of Christ. I promise you, even as your pastor, there's going to be times that I'm going to say things that I shouldn't say. I'm going to do things I shouldn't do. But you see, we're all going through this process of sanctification to where God is doing a work in us, and he's perfecting us, and we extend grace to one another because we need grace. And so if you're that elder son, extend grace, but start by receiving it. And he offers it this morning. He says to you, all that I have is already yours. He promises to provide for us all things that pertain to life and godliness through Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a promise that is written in his word. It's yours. Go get it. I said it's yours. Go get it. So I want to give an invitation to both sons. Whether it's the son that's lost because they're out in the world, or whether it's the son who's lost but is here every single Sunday morning. And you say, I want the love of my heavenly father. Can I tell you that his love covers the multitude of sin in our life, no matter what that rebellion looks like. And so I just want to ask who's here this morning. And you say, yes, Lord. Yes, I want to come home. I submit my life to your lordship. I want to live my life not for me or for anyone else, but for you, God. And you recognize your need for him. Because watch this, only the Father can restore. I said it earlier, only God can heal. Only God can feel. Only God can restore. And you say, yes, I want that love in my life. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want him to be first Lord of my life. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Just put it up real quick, and I'm going to pray with you. Come on, whoever that is this morning, you say, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to know that I have the promise of a heavenly home beyond this world. Because, friends, can I tell you, the day will come that in 100 years, not a, probably not a single one of us in this room that's hearing my voice is still going to be alive. And the Bible tells us that whenever we leave our body, we stand in the presence of God. And there's only one place that you're going to go. It's either heaven or hell. Now, here's the crazy thing, is that so many people have said no to a price that has already been paid for them. And that is the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because it's only through him that we get the promise of heaven. Good works doesn't get us there, folks. I'm telling you. It's the forgiveness and the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus himself says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Anyone else, and we're going to pray, put your hand up if that's you. If God's moving on your heart, don't wait. If you know that you need a Savior, what are you waiting for? You still want to go back to the hogs? Because that's what, look, can I tell you something? The world, everything that it has to offer, it's a counterfeit for the Holy Spirit. If you want to be filled and caused to overflow in your life, You need the Holy Ghost. You need the Spirit of God in your life. And that starts with a surrendered life to Jesus Christ. Who wants to pray and say, yes, that's me, I want it. Those of you that are watching online, join in with us. We're going to pray a prayer right now of surrender that says, Jesus, I need you. 
Saints of God, join in with me. We're going to all pray this prayer out loud together. Pray this. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. So I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from them and make you the Lord of my life. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sin and the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave, just as your word says. And now I want to know you and make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for salvation?